everybody to the Nerd Alert podcast. As you can tell, I am not James Wong at all. And we're not in Colorado. We're not where we normally are for the Nerd Alert podcast. I'm Kaylee Fritz, and we're coming to you from Flanders, from Leuven specifically, and the World Championships. And we actually have more of our normal Nerd Alert podcast crew than you might expect. Of course, we've got Ronan here, who's been doing our tech coverage from Worlds. Ronan, how are you? I'm good. I'm not Dave Rome. You're not Dave Rome. Nope. But you know who is Zach Edwards? I am. Zach Edwards is Zach Edwards. I am here, here in Belgium. Now, obviously, your partner in life had a, a rather momentous occasion this weekend, which I believe is why you are here in Belgium with us, Zach. Right? Correct. A little bike race. She's just giving the <laughs> stink eye. <laughs> Ruth had her retirement race at yep. this Worlds this Last weekend. Last one. So obviously you're here in Belgium. So we thought we'd sit down and, and at James's behest slash demand, <laughs> make a nerd alert for you all. Hold on. we can do that. We don't need them. We don't need a, those nerds. A beach racing bicycle just rode by. A what? Beach racing. It's... It's a thing over here. Okay, let's talk about this for a moment, because this is Nerd Alert. 29, 29er mountain bike with cantilevers and, like, big balloon tires and a road cassette. Wait. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Explain this sport to me real quick. It's like mountain bike and cross, but only on the beach. It's a Dutch thing. It, it is where the Grava wheel set that we've seen at Eurobike, shall we? Uh, where it came from. It was the, the, the inventor that raced a beach race. Stopped to adjust his, no, didn't stop to adjust his tire pressure and then got dropped because he had the wrong tire pressure. So to fix that, he developed his own hub that pumps up and down the tires. I didn't introduce our last Nerd Alert member, a surprise guest appearance from none other than Shoddy Dave. Shoddy, how are you? I'm a Dave, but not Rome, yeah. I'm good, <laughs> I'm good. Set the scene for us, where are we? We're sat at a lovely bar, busy bar, busy, busy bar, with plenty of drunk, uh, Europeans kicking around and a lot of cloth caps a lot of cloth caps and I'd say 80% haven't flipped up yeah that is the way this guy got it up backwards backwards and, and flipped and blurry eyed <laughs> disagree it needs to be like just it's not even on your head it's just perched on top of your head the and, captain. And the all this, the, just the way the guy's got his style, he's got his t-shirt rolled up, looking like he's dishevelled, but still managing to keep that cloth cap on his head. It's a vibe. It's a definite vibe. We've got a lot for you, actually, in this episode. It's not going to be the traditional Nerd Alert, obviously, because we're... This is Nerd Alert on the road, Nerd Alert on assignment this week. But, Ronan, you've been wandering around, checking out the pits, as has Zach, actually, sort of on his own time. <laughs> Unofficially. Unofficially. We spotted some things. There's some rumors floating around. There's, I mean, Worlds is always a bit different from a tech perspective. Well, everyone's on their, their trade team gear for the most part. So they just bring their own bikes, but you've got new mechanics. You've got potential issues on that front. We're also seeing some optimization happen uh, from riders from certain teams. We've got a couple different sort of rumors that are floating around about stuff that we've seen but don't really have details on yet. We're talking a little bit more about some Conti tires that we saw. We're talking about teams scrambling for drivetrains. 
for next year, which is something that we've heard from a number of sources over the last week, couple days. And some Wahoo rollers. <laughs> We're going to talk about those a little bit as well. Just, just on that point that you made about the words is a little bit different. I think it's a long time since we actually seen how would you put it, a highly technical yeah. <laughs> world championships. Uh, and even walking around, you know, what, what access we could get to the pits and that here this week, walking around, is it a lot of the same team staff? It's all the same team team buses. Uh, everybody just swaps their, their trade team kit for world tour kits, or for national team kits, sorry. And, and they do the same job there. So a lot of the riders are working with the same staff. Obviously it's not possible for everybody, but uh, yeah, for, because of that, you see very little differences, especially in the bikes on for, for today's course. You know, I was kind of out looking about to see if there would be any, you know, changes. But given how much, how little cobbles was included in the Flanders World Championships, it sort of resulted in kind of less to, to actually do. And uh, I think a lot of the optimization was was sort of, um, yeah, harder, harder to spot, let's say. Covered over, taped over, marked over. I think, I think where the difference is is in the team cars when you see a mechanic run out having to carry three sets of wheels to cover a guy who's got four, uh, 140 mil, 160 mil in rim brakes like in the team. Like they're not all, all clearly riding the same same braking equipment. So he's all got, yeah. Like I was it's in the way more complicated for sure. Yeah. Dis and disc brakes have made it significantly more complicated. But it's that as well. I was speaking to a mechanic this morning. He said that the tough job here is that they're not just looking after the men's teams. They've got the women's teams. They've got the juniors, the under 23s. So it's, they're not just working on one one brand of bike, one one group set. They're working on multiple different group sets each night after each event. And it's, it's such a long period as well. You have to remember this started over a week ago. The, the World Championship, the time trial was a week ago, but the mechanics and that were at work from three days before that. So it's like a 10 day stage race they've been working on here. Zach, have you ever done any mechanicking at an event like this? Have you ever, I know you've done like a fair amount of cross and road no, races, yeah, but no. Only, I'd say like cross World Cups were probably the closest thing, but that's, I was working with one rider, not, not a team of. I mean, how much of a challenge would it be for the average mechanic to like have to do that many different types of bikes? I would assume that most of them would be pretty comfortable, you know, across group sets and things like that. But we've talked about this before that, you know, pro mechanics, they work on whatever the bike that they have that year is. And all of a sudden they've got lots more. Yeah, right? I mean, I would I would say like, the, oh, sorry, we just got some frites delivered. <laughs> um, <laughs> the frites are here. I would say and my royal nachos. Which, look a little bit gross. <laughs> Why Mexican do we order Mexican food in Belgium? That's a bad idea. Um, I would say like the mechanics are going to be fully competent and working on whatever the bikes are. Um, it's going to be more a logistical challenge just trying to to organize the equipment from different teams and different trade teams and the riders and some people are coming in by themselves, some are coming from a team and the stuff's getting delivered from the service course and then like yeah, it's just a lot of logistical stuff. Do riders show up with their own bike or like, how does that work? I mean, I guess. I think it depends on it depends on the country and the team the riders on. Like if you're on a bigger a bigger team, most of their service courses are in Belgium, which is where we are. So they're just gonna get stuff delivered from the service course. 
Um, it's like Ruth, for example, did not have who to is sitting today. right next to you, but is currently eating frites, so we won't ask her any questions. Yeah. Where did her bike come from for this? Service course. Just she like from the service course in Belgium? Yep, she yeah. didn't have to do anything. Um, but yeah, if you're on a smaller team or you're coming in from a small country, you've traveled with your bike and yeah, like the bigger teams have these massive buses and mechanics trucks and the smaller teams are working out of basically a sprinter van. Um, so yeah, there's just a lot of variants. A lot of logistics, like you say, to work through. One of the most difficult things for a mechanic here. Yeah, I and mean, usually too, like there's gonna be less mechanics too and you're working with men's and women's teams. So it's not quite quite the same as a normal normal bike race. So it's a tricky thing for a mechanic here, but really we wanna talk about some of the stuff that we've seen, right? So Ronan, there's some rumors floating around. Maybe we can kick it off with this sort of scramble for equipment that's happening going into next year, right? We've talked about the supply chain problems over and over and over again on this podcast. You know, Shimano has no drivetrains. SRAM has no drivetrains. You can't get bikes. We've talked about these things before. But it's now, it's all the way up to the pro teams. Because let's keep in mind that actually a lot of these teams are not sponsored by a drivetrain manufacturer. So they don't really get to cut the line. They often, they'll buy drivetrains straight from a distributor, like the European distributor for Shimano, for example. But they're not cutting the line necessarily because of a sponsorship deal. I'd say actually most Shimano teams are like that. And they're they're struggling to get groups for next year. Yeah, um, I think you know we've all heard about the, the difficulty in, in getting components this year, but none of us really thought that the pro teams might be suffering the same problem. We thought it was kind of a an issue for us mere mortals, but yeah, from what we've heard this week, the uh, the teams are really struggling to find the equipment needed to, to to build the bikes for next season. And and from what we hear, a lot of teams are going to, or every team is going to have to recycle the group sets from this year's bikes onto their training and spare bikes at least. And from what we heard from one source, although we're not we're not quite sure if it was slightly lost in translation or if it was 100% accurate, but from what we heard, each team was only get, going to get three new juries group sets per team. Now, we're really, really hoping <laughs> that is lost in translation, but that is what we were told. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Shadi, that's what we were told. I'm pretty sure it was three. Even if it's 30%, that's nothing. But it, the other thing is, is we, we, we've also heard that Shimano got into ramping up production of the older Jorae stuff as well, so they can get that out to the teams as well. Yeah, so... What we've been told is that Shimano have had to restart production of the current Juris, the 11-speed DI2, uh, just in order to have enough spare parts to even allow the teams to recycle the current group sets onto their new bikes for next season. And then we've heard from one team that they actually have, at the moment, they have no group sets for next season and they cannot buy group sets. So they're, they're changing bike supplier they can't keep the current bikes, they can't recycle those group sets, and they can't find any group sets from either SRAM, Shimano, or Camp Bagnolo, even if they're paying for them. Microshift. <laughs> well, this is this is what we're saying on the way home. Is there a chance we can see teams who, who aren't sponsored by Shimano, like, because there's only, what, DSM, uh, in, I don't think even Ineos are sponsored by, is it D DSM uh, and Francis Dujour, the only two that are, sponsored by Shim 
So we were wondering, can, can we see teams next year, maybe at the start of the season, they can just get SRAM group sets, but they want Jore, so vice versa, or even Campagnolo, and moving through a few different group set manufacturers throughout the year. You know, they're all starting out on 105, ending up on Jore's, work their way up the ladder. How cool would it be to see someone win a world tour? I won a classic on 105 <laughs> groups in. So, uh, <laughs> I would love that. I would actually genuinely love. Not possible. You cannot possibly win a race on 105. <laughs> Lies. We've sat down before, Ron, and talked about that. It's not the kit that helps you win the race. Is it, is it give, like, at this sort of level, yes. If, if, if everyone's rolling around on 105, don't make a difference, but. As an amateur, if you come to Belgium and go to a Kermes, you'll see all sorts of gear being raced on. And it's never the guys who are riding around on Jores uh, with zip wheels that win the race. They're on weird brand name things rolling around on beat up Ultegra. So, having trouble getting groups. Uh, this could extend into next year, like we said. And there's a lot of concern there. and. And frankly, like the teams that are sponsored by bike, like frame brands that are bigger, might be better off because a lot of times those brands are sort of further ahead in the line with the component manufacturers. And if you're sponsored by SRAM, you're probably better off because most of the, like the SRAM teams are actually sponsored by SRAM, as opposed to like we said, a lot of the Shimano teams that buy that stuff. You're probably going to cut the line a bit if they're spending money with you, right, in a given year. But it'd be super interesting to watch how this sort of plays out over the next five, six months. I mean, the, the, the season's going to come around real quick here. And if if those numbers are right and teams are literally getting just a couple group sets, that's that's going to be tricky. Yeah, and it's not even it's not even next season here. That's that We're thinking about the season as in the racing season, which usually kicks off turn down under. That won't happen next year. But these teams, they need their bikes for end of October get-togethers, November, December training camps. It's, it's, you know, we're talking five, six weeks before these teams need these bikes fully assembled, ready to go home with the riders. I mean, the whole season's gonna be like Tour Down Under where teams are riding a mix of new and last season's, last season's bikes and kit. Like, that's just how it's gonna be, unfortunately. Moving on to our next topic here. Ronan, we spotted some, uh, some rollers. Oh. We have, a, we have a fan. Hi, guys. Tell us about your bike. Uh, my bike is Eddie Merckx from uh, 1987. Same year I was born. It, really? Yeah, it's yeah, the same age. It's, it's older than me. Uh, rode it already for uh, at least 15 years. have a uh, couple other bikes, but I uh, will keep it forever. It's my uh, forever go-to bike. Thank you. <laughs> We just had a fan come by and ask us when the podcast is going to be up um, and then tell us about his bike. I don't know what his name was. He had aluminum rims with fake carbon print on them. Wait, wait what? Aluminum on rims with fake carbon print on them. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he had a, you know, an 87 Eddie Merckx frame. Eddie Merckx, I think that was his name. It was no, on, it was Eddie. It was on his bike. Eddie, Eddie's lost some weight. <laughs> Anyway, where were we? Moving on to our next topic here. So, Ronan, uh, right at the beginning of Worlds, at the TTs, you spotted, this is the thing we we're going to ask Ruth about. You spotted 
Wahoo Rollers, but they're not traditional rollers. Tell me about them. Yeah, we, we spotted these at the at the time trial. All the riders who were participating in the individual and team time trials had the opportunity to continue their warm up on a set of Wahoo ro rollers at R O L L R S rollers. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and. Yeah, it was, this came out of the blue for me. I wasn't expecting rollers from Wahoo, but basically what they've done is it looks like they've tried to create um, a more versatile, more portable version of their smart trainer uh, by including the flywheel, a miniature flywheel from the kicker into their into a set of rollers. Very much like the feedback Omnium rollers and that's the, the, it's not like traditional rollers at all where you've got three roller drums and your front and back wheels are both on the rollers. This is solely a you know, uh, connecting with the rear wheel of the bike. Uh, and interestingly, what Wahoo have done is they've created like a front wheel support stand that allows for, from, from what I could see, like super quick um, mounting and dismounting onto the, onto the rollers. And it just means that it looks like it'll be a, a set of, a, an option for riders who want to warm up before an event, uh, a lot more portable than a, than a kicker or something like that. Uh, but also has the smart interactive features that you that you would find in a in a direct drive turbo trainer from from Wahoo. We happen to have someone here who's ridden them, actually. Ruth, you're not under any sort of like NDA or anything, right? You you can tell us about it. Nobody told me not to. Yeah, so we're <laughs> fine. So, as one of the only people that's ridden these things, what were they good? Did you like them? Were they quick? I mean, honestly, I rode it for nine minutes after I just did a full gas effort and felt like I was going to throw up the whole time. So my focus was not on the rollers, which I did not put my bike on the roller. Some very nice man in a Wahoo t-shirt did it for me. But it felt, I don't know, easy to ride. It's not like normal rollers where you're going to be worried about falling off when you're going to throw up after you've just done a hard effort because it holds your front wheel in. So you didn't you didn't put it on yourself, but you did ride them. They feel pretty good. Like yeah, is, you've ridden a Wahoo kicker thing. Yep. Yeah, what, I have. How does it feel? The same or different? Uh, it felt super super smooth. Like there was nothing that jumped out at me. It was really easy to ride after just going full gas. So that's all I can really say. There we go. I I have a question, Ruth. Okay. Do you think if a normal set of rollers had been sitting there, would you have ridden them, or was just that this setup was so simple that? I would have ridden whatever somebody put me on. That sounds wrong. I'm going to hand the mic back to Zach now. And on that note... <laughs> Before we move on, when we published the story last week, we had some screen grabs of the rollers. We couldn't get up close, but I made it my, I made it my mission to get some proper up-close photos of these rollers since then. So. Anybody who's seen the story or anybody who hasn't seen the story, go back to it and get a look because now with some, with some proper up-close photos of them. I think they'll be really good too for people that have multiple bikes. Like let's say you have a SRAM bike or a Sh and a Shimano bike or a rim bike and a disc bike and you want to use both bikes on the trainer and not, not have to mess with changing the cassette and the freeha body on your direct drive trainer. You just put whatever bike it is in this, on this set of rollers and you're good to go. Moving on. I mean, I, I, think, I think they look cool. Like, I like rollers. I kind of like the feel more than the than the direct drive trainers, but like the ability to use something like this with Swift that's going to have resistance, that sounds like a, a sort of win-win to me. Moving on though, the last thing 
the sort of rumor that we've got here, Ronan. New Conti tires. We've been talking about this a fair amount, and that's because there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of things floating around from Continental that um, Continental. Sorry, Continental. And I'll say that this is this is irrespective of the fact that they sponsor the regular podcast. We just have genuinely we've spotted some things from them, uh, and they won't really tell us a lot more. But we can discern a certain amount of information just from the way that they're mounted and the valves that they use, right? Yeah, well, I suppose I first started reported on this last weekend when we seen Filippo uh, Gano take the Time Trial World Championship. He was using a Princeton Carbon Works front, well, we think it's a Princeton Carbon Works front wheel that we hadn't seen before. Uh, and on that, he had a set of, we, we could see there were Grand Prix 5000s from Continental. But interestingly, Gano also had a, a, a tubeless valve stem and at least part of the uh, branding or logo on the on the tire had been blacked out with with a marker, uh, which sort of leads us to believe that, yeah, for for some reason, they were trying to hide the name of this tire because of course, Continental does make a, a tubeless GP5000 that wouldn't be out of the ordinary. But what was out of the ordinary was this was a tan sidewall version of the tubeless. What seems to be a tubeless tire. They, and, and Jeep Continental do not currently make a tan sidewalled version of that tubeless tire. I think the biggest the biggest part of this for me is on on the sidewall. You could see the little like embossed uh, like markings of the max pressure and sizes and all that. And it had a max pressure for normal tubeless, and it had a max pressure for hookless tubeless. So I think that's the biggest thing for me is like tan wall is great, but if they're making a new 5000 tubeless for a hookless rim, that's pretty big news. Because the previous generation, or previous version of the tubeless 5000, you couldn't use on zips or envies or any other hookless wheel. Yeah, I guess the tan sidewalls was just the, what alerted my attention to it. Uh, but fast forward to today's, seven days to today's road race, and both Luke Rowe and Ben Swift uh, were riding, yeah, they were, they were riding their, their Enios Panarellos, nothing strange there. Riding Princeton Carbon Works wheels, nothing strange there. But they had black Continental GP5000 tires with tubeless valves, nothing strange there. Except for the fact this time we could see Grand Prix 5000 STR branding on this tire, which is not a logo I have seen on a GP5000 previously. Um, what did the other ones say? TL? The previous one said TL. Exactly. The, the, the previous tire said TL. We remember a GP4000S and a 4000S2, but now this looks like a 5000S a and a TR, I have to assume, means tubeless ready. Uh, paired to that... Trail. Trail, yeah. <laughs> Trail casing. Paired to that, both the British riders had muck-off tubeless valve stems again, which to me is... Yeah, it's interesting because it looks like it's a new tire from Continental, but it's also interesting because Enios are like, they were diehard on rim brake until last week when they moved, made the shift to discs, and they were always diehard on tubular also because, you know, they, they were sticking with tubular. So if Enios have made this switch to a tubeless setup, I, I'm not sure if it's like much, much lighter or much, much faster or what, but there must be something about this new tire that has 
driven any else to make this switch. I mean, it's interesting why they've chosen to go this route. Like they won, like the previous setup they were using was, were lightweights with tubulars, which they had success on, and they won the Olympic road race on. So why have they all of a sudden changed to go this other route? Like, if it's that much faster, or that's just sponsors, or what? But who knows? I mean, I have to think that it. it I mean, horses for courses, right? Like, Flanders Worlds is not not the same as the big mountains where they were using uh, the lightweight setup. But before, the Olympics right? weren't big mountains. Ah, they were like decent sized mountain. Yeah. Right? There's a pretty pretty decent climb there. Yeah, I, I wonder whether we'll see the lightweights again next year. I, I would guess that we probably do. I, saw, for, I don't know what he raced today, but I did see in the, the team bus area, Mike Woods, his spare bike uh, had lightweights on it. Ah. On the roof, at least. So I don't know what he was racing, but there were there were some lightweights out there. I mean, I have to think that in, like Ineos does their homework, right? That is one thing that we know about the team is that they do their homework. There must have been a compelling reason for them to switch to tubeless. And I, it has to be rolling resistance, right? Like, I can't imagine it's, it's not going to be lighter than a lightweight plus, like, I mean, I would think, like, it's just not. Compared to the lightweights, I would think rolling resistance is way less than the aerodynamic difference. Like, the wheels are way faster. Like, yeah. they're not a 25-year-old V-shape. <laughs> what, we're, what we're forgetting about here is it's not Ineos riding here, is it? Maybe the riders from Ineos have got their own choice. Like they're not under pressure from the team to use lightweights. Maybe the riders themselves have gone out and used these wheels in training and then gone, actually, I prefer this to the, using the lightweights with tubulars. And because there's no pressure from the team here, or I, we can presume maybe there's not an, the same amount of pressure from the team, from the mechanics, to use the equipment that they usually use, that they're able to go, right. Hey, Stick them on for the race, please. True, yeah. And we, I also spotted that Kwiatkowski on the Polish national team was riding the same tire with the same branding. And again, it wasn't blacked out this time. So, yeah, perhaps there's just some sort of revolution going on within the team. And they've, they've got the opportunity to ride what they want. And, yeah, Luke Rowe was on disc brakes. Ben Swift was on rim brakes. Uh, and Kwiatkowski was on, on disc brakes as well. So maybe that's... Maybe they're... Maybe they're Voting with their with their bikes onto which type of uh, brakes they want to run two two versus one there, but for me, I think there must be something and on, uh, on on the weight here because we know with the with the the dogmas that Enios have always struggled to get to that six point eight kg, and they've you know they they've forgiven the aerodynamic disadvantage of the lightweight wheels uh, for that decrease in weight, and as from what I hear, their you know their 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 main focus is getting that bike to 6.8 kilos, and and that's where I'm thinking. Normally, a tubular setup will be lighter. <laughs> the fans, the nerd alert fans, have just stolen your frites, Ronan. What are you gonna do about that? Like pigeons. <laughs> I wouldn't mind. He didn't even get in his mouth. Is that drunk? <laughs> So, yeah. There's some folks who at uh, 6.38 are in a world of hurt already. A world of hurt. And and a Belgian didn't even win today. Can you imagine if Wout was the world champion today, how, what this square would currently look like? The reason they're, calm. The reason they're in a world of hurt is because they've been going at it since 7 o'clock, getting at the front of the flipping barriers. Like we've heard of, 
on some of the climbs, yeah, people queuing up at seven o'clock, sat on, bringing their own mini fridges, plugging full, it. Full size fridge with a generator. Full size fridge and a generator at the top of the hill, full of beer. And then like people who have the houses along the route have been selling drinks out of their windows. Anything else? Did we spot anything else this, this week, guys? I mean, I feel like it was pretty standard. Everyone's riding the same stuff they ride all season. I mean, I, we were talking about this before we started the podcast, but to me, the pro bikes that they're riding, like you, everything now is hit internal and hidden and arrow. So like anything going on special is inside and you can't see. Um, so to me, it's like not as exciting as it used to be when you're like, oh, that's super pro. And like, look how they've routed these cables or how they've done this or that. And like now it's all not all hidden away. So and it's the same bikes they've ridden all season. So it's not. There's cool bikes and they're all, all great out there, but to me, it's less exciting than in years past. Yeah, for sure. I think the, the week the week we're coming into now, Roubaix week, is going to be much more exciting in terms of tech and, and what the teams are doing to optimize for that event than, than we've just seen this week. Totally. Even that is like way less than it used yeah. to be, though. I mean, even when, so I started, I started as a tech reporter of LNews in 2010. Started, like, I think I covered Roubaix that year, maybe 2011, I can't remember. But even from then... Ever since the Ambrosia wheels. Yeah, that's like, the thing. I, 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 wrote, I wrote a obituary for the aluminum Ambrosio tubulars in uh, 2014 or 2015 for Velanus, I believe. And, and they've been gone ever since, right? Like, everything has just gotten... Roubaix used to be, when I first showed up here, and granted, it would have been even crazier 20 years ago. When I first started doing this job, every single bike was different, right? Like every single bike had something weird about it. Like no one was using sponsor correct tires. They're all on FMBs or Dugas. Exactly. And, and every single year it gets more and more homogenous and more and more like, oh, uh, we just run the 30 mil version of our sponsor's tire, right? Yeah. And I think this year, the, the interesting thing to me this year is going to be the tubeless factor, right? We've talked about this a bunch of different times. It seems to be trending that direction in general in road racing. But Roubaix is different, and I, I, it's going to be interesting to see if the, if Roubaix teams still want to go off of, you know, the 30 Partic or 32 mil tubulars yeah. that they've been on for a very long time. Particularly, I would say, like, the specialized teams, Quickstep and Bora, like, they've been riding clinchers all year, and the benefit to riding tubulars or even tubeless is you can get a puncture and keep rolling. But if they're just on clinchers, like, you get a flat, it's game over until a team car shows up. I think, I think we could probably... If we had an X-ray machine and we could see inside these tires, I think we might see some, you know, pool noodles. <laughs> I think we, I think we might see some cush core kind of stuff in tubeless setups. Which, like at that point, just run tubulars. I think, I think for the most part, we're still going to see tubulars next weekend. But I'm, I'm intrigued to see it because, you know, we know that we know that tubeless can be faster, and we know that teams are after all those watts right now. Whether they actually make the switch or not is... I mean, I think it'll be interesting, though, because we've not had not had a Roubaix for a while now. So, like, the previ the last Roubaix was, what, two two and a bit years, years ago? Yeah. Like, there's and, a lot and, of changes since then. And Tubeless has come a long way in that time, right? Yeah. So that, that's the thing that I, has me kind of wondering how much Tubeless we're going to see. The good news is we're going to be there, and we'll tell you. We'll do another Nerd Alert. In the square. Square edition. Nerd Alert surrounded by drunken bicycle fans edition. Uh, we realize that this is not a traditional Nerd Alert. Less nerdy. A little bit less nerdy, a little bit more real world. Uh, 
but they're fun. And so, we'll, yeah, we'll do another one from Roubaix with uh, report back on what we've seen. And with that, I think we're going to wrap up for today. I think we're going to eat our frites and maybe even have a leffa. Duval. A Duval? Um, I think Duval. Or Carmelite, as you said, that's, that's the local, right? All right, Carmelites for everybody. Listeners out there, we hope you enjoyed. And we'll be back next week. <laughs> Kaylee, you are rumbling, man. How many of you at yourself? <laughs>